Welcome to this Respiratory Compromise Institute podcast, featuring talks from leading thinkers at the Respiratory Compromise Symposium during the 2018 AARC Congress. The mission of the Respiratory Compromise Institute is to prevent suffering and death from respiratory compromise by optimizing its recognition, monitoring, and management. This final episode continues the symposium's future research consideration section with Dr. Neil McIntyre. He wraps up the symposium with a look at the strategies on the horizon for those looking to better detect and prevent respiratory compromise. Let's dive right in. This is a topic that uh, is, I think, incredibly important, and I'm honored to be uh, on the panel with uh, friends and colleagues who I greatly admire. So my task uh, is to look at where, where, we, where we should be going, where we should be going. My disclosures, uh, most, I don't think any of these have anything to do with respiratory compromise. Uh, the objectives, which you'll, you'll get off the slides. Um, but basically what I want to talk about in the 20 or so minutes allotted to me uh, is to uh, share my vision, if you will, of where we are going in this field. Um, I'm glad Sydney was here to talk about our Medicare da database project because I think that's an extremely important foundation to build our thinking upon. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, my own project. Uh, we at Duke uh, submitted a grant application to the uh, Institute. Uh, I did not serve on the review panel. I withdrew myself appropriately. Um, to uh, do an analysis of uh, the Duke Health System. And I want to describe to you what we, uh, what we are doing with that project. Um, and then I want to talk about other areas where I think research uh, is needed. So let's talk about the Duke project for a moment. So what, what we're doing in my institution uh, is going back over a five-year period of time, 2013 to 2018, and we were looking at a very specific group of patients, a very specific group of patients. We wanted to look at the general care patient whom everybody thought was okay. They're on general care floor. They're not being monitored. Nobody's running around trying to get them in an ICU. they at least 24 hours from any surgical procedure. In fact, they're even 24 hours from admission. These are stable patients. They could be post-ops, stable medical patients. And we want to look at, in that group, that group, we want to look at the patients who surprised us, who surprised us. We thought they were okay. We put them on a general care floor. We didn't do a whole lot of monitoring, and yet something bad happened to them. And we defined bad as really bad. We decided to get the ultimate respiratory compromise. You stopped breathing and you needed to be intubated. So the project was unplanned intubations. So we went back over the Duke Health System, uh, like I said, for a five-year period of time. And our goal was to identify unplanned intubations uh, on the general care floor. And we found 463 of these events. And if you do the math on this, that turns out to about 69 events per year per 1,000 beds. So one and a half per week, give or take a few. I've shown this data to other people, and most of them say, gee, I, I always thought it was more than that. We clearly are doing more than 60, we're doing Duke Hospital more than 69 intubations a year. 
Uh, I guarantee you that. But again, I want you to remember what the patient population is here. These are the patients we didn't think we would have to intubate, ever. Again, the patients who surprised us. Uh, we have taken up uh, uh, an analysis that has 22,000 control subjects. Who are the control subjects? Basically the same type of patient, stable, general care, not a whole lot of monitoring, thought to be safe on general care, and at least 24 hours from an admission or from a surgical procedure. Okay, so this is the scope of the project. It's focused on the surprise cases. Uh, rules of, what, presenting data prevent me from going to, into great detail as to what we've got right now. Uh, the abstract has been accepted for ATS uh, in May of 2019. Um, I'm told I can share the data as soon as the ATS is public, or as soon as the abstracts are publicly available. Uh, so unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hindered to just give you sort of broad overstrokes right at the moment. Um, the, uh, uh, the demographics of these surprise cases, uh, it's not surprising, they're, I, I mean, it's not terribly surprising. Uh, they're older, they're sicker, uh, and, and the like. But again, deemed by their clinicians to be stable enough to be on an unmonitored general care ward. The diagnoses, uh, obviously there are lots of diagnoses and sorting out what's an important diagnosis or a primary diagnosis from a secondary diagnosis that just happens to be there is, is a challenge, especially when you've got 22,000 patients you're trying to sort through. Um, but uh, 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 not surprisingly, we're gonna find people that have heart disease and hypertension and things of that nature. I am really interested in the third category, the 12 hours prior to the unplanned intubation. What was going on in the immediate time frame and we are really interested in digging very deeply into what kind of support were they receiving? Were they on pressors? That's gonna be highly unlikely, this is a general care floor, but you never know in this business. Um, inotropes, same way. Bronchodilators, antibiotics, and then of course the big ones, sedatives, opioids, and other uh, 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 respiratory depressants. Intermittent non-invasive ventilation, nocturnal, non-invasive ventilation, uh, and of course oxygen. Again, stable patients, but were in the 12 hours prior, were there markers of things going on? And then what I'm really interested in is the monitoring strategies that were in place. I told you there wasn't much monitoring, these are general care floors. But I wanna know specifically, how many people actually were getting pulse oximeters? Uh, I think more importantly, I think, in this day and age, almost everybody gets a pulse oximeter. I think a more important question is who was having their pulse oximetry looked at. Um, uh, cardiac telemetry, how many people were actually deemed worthy of cardiac telemetry? Uh, and tidal CO2. Uh, and if we can identify other monitors, uh, we're, we're going to capture those as well. But of course, these are the ones we commonly think of. And we're going to look at the inpatient hospital mortality. And um, uh, uh, of, 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 of this surprise group. So again, people admitted to a general care floor, thought to be stable, thought to be okay, thought to be like the other 22,000 patients, but weren't. And what can we do about them? So that's the current Duke project. And uh, like I said, uh, uh, I'm gonna be sharing this with the Institute and uh, I'm not sure what they're gonna do with it immediately. Uh, as soon as the ATS uh, or rules uh, have, been, uh, have been followed 
on publication of data. I think there are other research areas we need to look at. Uh, an area, I've, we're looking at all comers on a general care floor that, get, that, that require an intubation. Um, but there are different mechanisms there and different trajectories. Uh, I've sort of grouped them into five broad categories. Uh, was it a neurologic event? Was it a cardiovascular event? Was it a primary respiratory event? Was it some systemic process that took place? And uh, the impact of various comorbidities, multifactorial. And I'm interested in, in the trajectory of these different categories. Sudden, unexpected, catastrophic, things like a stroke, things like a myocardial infarction, an aspiration, a pneumothorax, etc. Or was it a more gradual deterioration? Neurologic, uh, the buildup of sedatives or opioids. Was it cardiovascular, fluid overload, or various drugs? And respiratory, was an infection spiraling out of control? Were they developing sepsis or signs of acute lung injury? So this is a future, this, this is a next step along the way. Not just describe how often it happens and what the overview was, but what was the actual event and what was its trajectory? Phil, that's going to be the next grant. So uh, my colleagues at the RCI have commented, well, Neil, that's a very focused group. What about other areas? What about other areas? And uh, I know my colleagues are, are really interested in the patients who might be transferred out of the ICU too fast. We tried to stay away from them because we made it 24 hours away from something like that. Uh, but uh, uh, we can go back in and search for these uh, uh, fresh transfers from ICU or step down or fresh transfers out of the uh, emergency department. So another area uh, we can look at. Everybody wants us to do cost. That's the third grant, Phil. We're gonna, we, we can do very complicated cost analyses uh, on, on, on these kinds of patients and figure out exactly what this really is. <coughs> Excuse me, is costing us. I, 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 I'm a clinician. I care about patients and patient outcomes. Uh, I realize everybody wants to talk about cost, but I must admit that's not the most exciting path of research, in my opinion. But I know it's important. And then uh, everybody wants to build and validate scoring systems. And um, we're no exception to that. And uh, there are ways of taking uh, uh, data from uh, not only the current Duke project, but uh, looking at, at, at other groups as well. Again, the step downs, the post ICUs, the immediate post ops, and things of that nature. And building a scoring system. And of course, at the end of the day, uh, what do we really want to do? We want to, be, we want to be able to identify and develop strategies for detection and prevention. That's the ultimate goal of the Respiratory Care, or excuse me, Respiratory Compromise Institute. We got to find ways to find, we have to build better systems to detect them. And then once we've found that way or predict, um, we need to come up with tools uh, to prevent them. There's a lot of work to be done here. And uh, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased that the Respiratory Compromise Institute uh, has been formed. I think it's a wonderful idea to approach a problem that uh, uh, is, is extremely important. But again, a lot of work to be done. 
data is slowly, our, excuse me, data are slowly but surely emerging that I think are gonna help us in the future. Um, but again, it's been a fun ride, but a lot of opportunities out there for us to make things better. Thanks for listening to this Respiratory Compromise Institute podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, visit respiratorycompromise.org for more information on research, education, and prevention.